Welcome to the podcast of The Table of Minneapolis Church. We are a community that is committed to practicing the ways of Jesus by creating space for all to belong and be loved. Our hope is that in this podcast, in the message that you will hear, that you'll be reminded again of the eternal truth that no matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, the places that you've gone or the places that you've stayed, that there will always be a seat here for you at the table. For you're a child of God, and beloved, you belong. Enjoy this week's message. Well, welcome, you guys. My name is Matt Moberg. Uh, we're thrilled that you're here, especially if you're new. We're really excited that you braved the elements outside and that you made it out. If you came just to see if you won the Vikings raffle tickets, that's allowed too. Me too, actually, too. Uh, we're in the same boat there. We're happy that you're here. I'm hoping that people are being kind to you been good to you. If it's overwhelming how polished of a program it is that we're providing, as has been previously noted, this is year three for us, okay? So we've, we've been around the block a couple times now and we're still kicking. Um, speaking of kicking though, I'm not kicking uh, as much. Does this thing not go up? Should I stop pulling on that, John? I've been sick all week, okay? So this is actually my first 25 minutes of coherency. How's it going so far? <laughs> Pretty good, right? I've been down and out in the ER and out of the ER. It's been a hot mess. That's actually why I'm wearing this Save the Whales, not because the, the whales and I are plagued with a similar affliction, but because my son brought this home to make me feel better the other day. Bless his heart, Jen Carlin. Does it get any better than that? It does not. Um, but I just say that to say thank you for those of you who texted me with pep talks and prayers. Appreciate it. And those of you who typically greet me with a holy kiss, keep your lips to yourself tonight. John Keller, that's you especially. <laughs> with that, I um, wanted to start by telling you where I was last week and wasn't here. was with Julie in Montana for her son's wedding. It was amazing. Alex and Rochelle got wedded, married, wedded, betrothed in Red Lodge, Montana. And I don't know if you guys have made it out to the woods of Red Lodge, Montana. It is stunning out there. I have somebody who's always struggled to identify, like, what is so great about the great outdoors? But then Montana was like, well, this and this and point taken. That makes sense now. I get it. I got to tell you this story, though, that I was reminded when I was talking to Julie earlier. At the reception, after the service, we're about halfway through the dance, right? Give or take a few. And I figured now's an appropriate time for me to get up from my table and go get a glass of wine. And so I did. I started meandering towards the bar when this strange man, who was about 6'1", 6'2", give or take a few mid-30s, mohawk cocked to the side, smelt a little bit like bacon, and probably had about 13 or 14 mojitos in him at this point. I actually don't know if that's factual or not, but I'm basing that strictly off of how excited he seemed to be seeing me in that moment. He wrapped me up in his arms, bear hug. And he goes, that was such a great sermon. It was a great sermon. And I looked at him and I go, wow. Thank you. I I worked so hard on that sermon. (laughs) Like you have no idea the sweat that I put into that. And he goes, I could tell, man. I could could tell. There was something. It was clicking. And I have a question, though. On the drive from the service to the reception, I just had this thought that was stirring around in my head. He goes, not really a religious guy. And I was like, oh, no kidding. And he he said, "Uh, what's like the 
the point of religion? Like, is there like a primary purpose that governs the whole thing? Like, what's the point of religion? Is there, is there a point to religion? And I said, um, well, that's a good question. I mean, from what I've gathered, and, and I did do my undergrad in this, and I got my master's in this field, and so you would assume that I've gathered something by now. From what I've gathered, it seems to me that religion is aimed towards connection, connecting person with the divine, connecting person with themselves, connecting person with the name, with a consistent aim of leading towards a healthy, flourishing human life. I think it's about connection, and I expected him to be like, but like somewhere in between my like speech, sermon number two, who let the dogs came on and he was already back on the dance floor <laughs> and he was gone. But I was still in that place and I was still thinking about that question. And um, I don't know, what would you guys say? Because that question is as much for all of us as it is just for me. I mean, you're here tonight in a religious space, singing religious songs, talking about religious things, thinking about religious material. What is the purpose of religion? What pulls you into a space like this? Now, I know Christians, especially of the evangelical ilk, will say that it's, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. I get it. That's true with you. The same time, like what is it about religion that makes you so relationally religious? You know what I'm saying? What is it about religion? What is the thing? When I got onto the plane in uh, Billings that morning, I was still thinking about it a little bit. And I started thinking about my conversation with this guy, and I think if I could turn back time, chair, 1989, I think, if I could turn back time and go back to that conversation once again and have him ask me that question one more time, I don't know if I'd answer it in the same way. Connection, sure, is part of it. It's embedded in there somewhere. But I think the first thing that you, you need to answer with, for me, would have to be something around desire. Because the whole thing runs on desire. Now, that's not like some, like somebody tweet that. That's not a profound, everything runs on desire. Desire is at the heartbeat of all things. It's the undergirding, like, hum behind all that we do. From the, out of the gates, that's true. From the moment we, we leave the womb and we reach our arms into the air, not knowing what for, just knowing that we should, feeling that pull, desire is there. Desire is in our angst. Desire is, is in our ambitions. Desire can't be requested. Desire can't be declined. It just is what it is. It is the is. Desire is the heartbeat behind everything that we know and everything that we pursue. Everything runs on desire. It's what move, makes us move towards somebody in love. It, it's also, though, what makes us move away from some places in loss. Desire is that ever-present push that pulsates in our bodies, looking for that one thing that goes by many different names. Because for some people, they'd say, I'm looking for love. For other people, they'd say, I'm looking for joy. I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for justice. I'm looking for beauty. I'm looking for a space to belong. There is desire that is pushing that push and looking for that pull. Desire, though, is embedded in all of these things. Whatever you want to call it, we're all trying to lay claim to it. Restlessly, we reach. And yet, Tragically, we very rarely grasp. We very rarely get to that one thing that we thought was the missing piece and all of a sudden we slide it into its place and then boom, we're good. 
Finally, I can breathe. Finally, life makes sense. Finally, everything is falling into place. And yet we continue to reach. With dry lips and parched throats, we go through so much of our lives trying to design our lives as if we do the proper equation, follow the right formula, things will fall into place and we'll get there. If we put A right here, B right there, C will end up there, and then we'll, we'll have the abundance. Mission will be accomplished, will be there, and yet it never sticks. It never stays. But we'll keep looking. I mean, maybe that's even why we're here tonight is we're looking. We look for it in all kinds of places. Look for it in family game nights. Look for it in drinks out with friends. We look for it at work parties. We look for it on social media. We look for it in sex with strangers. We look for it in joining new churches. We look for it in Peloton bikes. Is that how you say that word? Great, never will say that again. Peloton bikes. We look forward to eating pizza, ice cream. We're always looking for what is that thing that's going to finally be able to scratch this itch that won't quite go away. And that's not the hardest part. The hardest part is that once we get that thing that we think has been found, once we did the A and the B and we thought we got the C, we clasp it and we white knuckle it and then we clench it and then we open our hands to see it. And it's gone. It's nowhere to be found. It fades. It flees. It entertained, but it failed to endure. So many stories, you guys. We've been, what, this is year three? How many times are we going to bring that up, Matt? This is our third year. So many times people have walked into spaces with me with hearts cracked open because things that they thought were going to endure only ended up being entertainment. Their partners eventually return to their favorite glowing screen. Or even worse, they keep looking at them, but they're no longer glowing. Their businesses that they invested their money in with so much promise, hope, dreams. Now they're left wondering why. The bowl of ice cream empties. The people we love leave. The kids end up being punks. Things don't freeze. They don't stay still. We thought they would. We hoped they, they would. But they don't. They move. The problem, of course, is not the pursuit of these things. By and large, when you make a list of these sorts and you start throwing all these hypotheticals, the problem is not the pursuit of these things. They are what they are. They are good in and of themselves. The problem is the nature of these things. They aren't built to last. They aren't built to stick around. Nothing really is. All that we have here today, you'll notice in my uh, receding hairline, it is further back than it was at year one by year three because everything is fleeting. Are you, are you feeling sad for me? Because why aren't you laughing? That was funny. That was comedic gold that I just offered to you. Oh, my gosh. Now I'm actually concerned about my hairline. Holy cow. But nothing sticks around. And more and more, I guess, I think one of the reasons why I kept thinking about this on that plane at 5.30 in the morning is um, 
it, it is the thing that we orient our lives around. It is this pain that is central to our lives. It is this anxiety, this opening, this gaping wound that we don't know how to do with. And so we try to keep throwing things at it and it never quite fits because everything that we have is temporal. Everything that we have is fleeing. But connection, here comes religion in a three-piece suit saying, I can give you something that will last, that will make all of your pain go away. Everything else might leave, but take a sip of this bottle, do this dance, believe these things, leave those people, show up in these places, sing those songs, worship this God, memorize these words, stand when you're supposed to and sit when you're supposed to, do those things and I will give you what you finally need. I'll set you free from the ache that won't go away. I'll make it all stop. And then we say yes. Because that's a pretty sweet offer. That's a, that's a deal that it's hard to pass up on. We say yes to a drink like that. We say yes to religion's extended offer. And we do the doctrinal dance. And we show up in the right places with only the right people. But at what price? Because what happens is that our desire for peace now in saying yes it starts to dull as we focus on the duties that will lead to a peace later. You see this in all the religions, by the way. You, you see this in Islam, you see this in Judaism, and you see it in Christianity. But you don't see it in the Christ. You, you don't find that in his life. One of the tragedies, greatest tragedies in the modern church today is that we have somehow confused the religion of Christianity with the reality of Christ as if they were one and the same when they aren't. They may speak similar things. We might use Jesus' name, but they often look very different. One is the river. The other is selling water by the shore. One is the ocean. The other is Aquafina. One is life. The other is a list that will lead you to life. Religion will tell you what to believe, but Christ He's always trying to form us into people how. How are you going to believe is more important than what you believe. Who are you actually becoming in your day-to-day -day grind? Not just how are you arranging your intellectual furniture. Now, that's not to say, just to be clear, that I'm anti-religion. I'm actually not. I think that religion has its place. I do. I think religion has its place. I think we need spaces in our life that we are rhythmically checking into. I think we need to be formed by these spaces. We need to have our character carved out. We need to have communities that are created. We need connection. We do. We need that space. I think that religions can perform in a way that is similar to like a river bank on a river. In its best of ways, the banks, they contain the waters. Without the banks, the waters get contaminated or at worst, they become a flood. But the banks provide some sense of protection, containment. Religion has its place, but religion is not the place. You look at the life of Jesus enough times and that becomes abundantly clear. When you see him stepping over all of these boundary lines and subverting all these traditional touchstones. When you watch him flip over these tables and call for something new, something more expansive, something better, something more edifying and empowering, you got to recognize that he does not believe that there is life to be had in the banks. The life is always in the water. 
The life is always off of the sand and into the deep. I don't think Jesus was opposed to the riverbanks. I don't think he was anti-religion. After all, he was very religious. He was raised in religion. It's made who, who he was. But he didn't know that the reality of despite how things may appear, eventually all rivers merge with one ocean. And there are no banks that can hold the ocean back. And so he's not going to spend his life holding the banks up. He's going to go in the water instead. He's going to be free instead of afraid. He, he's going to be honest instead of palatable. He's going to be caring instead of convenient. He's going to be generous instead of cheap. He's going to experience life and life to the full and not walk around thirsty trying to figure out what do we do with this lack. There's this moment in the water that Debbie read earlier. And the context of this moment is Jesus in a place where he was so free and so unafraid, despite having every reason for him, he should have been terrified. It is his final dish before he dies. And he tells his closest of kin. He leans over and he says to them in John 14, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father. Jesus, the one who leaves the shores and gets in the water. This might be the craziest of all the crazy things that Jesus goes out to say. This might top the list. Because what he is saying right here is that if you size up my life of wild loving, of generous giving, if you look at all up and down, what you see in me should be seen in you. Actually, what you see in me, how about you take it up a notch or two? Uh, how about you take the story further, farther? Make it better. Be creative. Do something beautiful. I am the seed. You got your start. Now move. Are we doing that? I mean, as people who claim the name of Jesus, are we outdoing the Jesus that we claim? Are the works that we are doing, do we, are they doing, are, we, are they greater? It's an uncomfortable thing to think about because, well, that's just not how we want to think about it. We don't want to see our heroes like this. We don't want to see our heroes outdone. We want them to be on the pedestal, unchallenged, unparalleled, all to themselves. So we will build, a, we do this for all of our heroes. We will build a statue for Gandhi and Mandela and Rosa Parks and King and Christ, we will build them an altar, but we don't want our lives to actually be altered. We don't want to have to feel the force of their lives. We'd rather just sing a song about their lives. We want to keep clapping, keep cheering, keep celebrating what they did. But the whole time, one of Jesus' last words that he says on this earth is he says, I can't wait to see what you will do. I can't wait to see where you all will go next with this love of God, this water that needs no salesman on the shore to access. What will we do? Who will we become? Jesus says, I know that this is how you tend to treat the heroes, but don't do that to me. Contrary to Christianity's popular opinion, 
I am not the grandiose exception in humanity. I am the gracious rule. What you see in me should be what you set out for in you. I am the spark, now set on fire. I am the starting line, not the crossing line. Place your roots here, but then run wild there. There's this moment where Paul is reflecting on this life of Jesus. It's in Romans 8, and he's sizing up the world that we're in. And his time was very different, obviously, but also not very different. Because they had their fair share of issues as well. And Paul is naming a list of them. He's, he's bemoaning the cracks in the world. And he's saying the problems that he sees. All the issues, the war and the rumors of the war, the violence, the greed, the leaders that can't be trusted, top to bottom, all of these things that are, people are actually suffering inside of. And when Paul speaks of the suffering, he says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That's one of my favorite verses. Because revealed is a very different word than created. Revealed speaks of something that is already there. Creation. The aches and pains, the groans and the belly aches, the tears on the faces outside, the tears on the faces in here. They're waiting for you to realize who you actually are. To look to the life of Jesus and all that he did as a reminder to your life right now and all that you are called to do and all that you're called to be. Because the bar has been set, the expectation is clear. Greater works. If you see the things I'm doing, just wait. 2019, 2020, you just wait. There's going to be communities that will come up and will blow your socks off. Will we be one of those? Will we leave that religious anxiety the smaller things for the weightier matters of the water. Where we love faithfully and bravely. Where we overextend ourselves with compassion and generosity. Where we all know that there are bodies in our corner cheering us on and pushing us forward. Where we know that we belong, not just because we were told it, but because we can feel it. Because we've experienced it. And when we make space for others to say, yeah, that's true for me too. In my head, when I think about this text, actually, true story, anytime I read the Bible, there's one movie scene that tends to come up again and again. It's from the greatest movie of all time, so don't mind me as I close with it. But there's this reason. The story is Peter Pan is all grown up, full man, looks kind of like Robin Williams. And he's become a lawyer. He's become somebody who has majored on the X's and O's of life. What's the right way to do it? What's good? What's bad? Where's the win? Where's the loss? How do we do everything? How do I figure everything out? But then he goes back to Neverland and there's a clash. There's an incongruency. The head doesn't work with the heart until it does. And there's this moment where they welcome him back. There's this moment where he comes alive. Where I just want you to think about the world, the joy, the celebration. 
what it's like when you actually are being revealed, child of God, stepping out of the shadow and into the light, embracing who you actually are. never let I love that oh movie so good <laughs> may we have the courage to show up this year in a different way may we have the courage to be brave and integrous enough to not sing about songs about the water while standing on the shore but to learn how to take a dive into the deep and to give ourselves to the formation of the love of Christ because it's real and it's here and it's asking you to go for a swim. Pray with me. Jesus, you speak in 10,000 ways, reminding us that church is not doctrine in search of devotion. It is love in search of form. And so give us the courage to make that search. God, give us the bravery to be who you called us to be. To jump into the water. We don't have to figure it out because we can't figure it out, but we can join you, and that's enough. God, you are good, and God, we are grateful. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen. On Sunday nights, we gather, and every Sunday night, we take communion together. And it is a practice, it is a rhythm that Matt was talking about, a religious practice and a rhythm. But I think for me, I value it because I actually think it's a pause in a way from religion. Because it's in this moment that we just make some space and we remember who it is that we follow. This God revealed in Jesus that walked this earth and showed us what love really meant. A self-sacrificing kind of love. And so when we come up tonight and we take that bread and we dip it into the wine, the juice, we can pause. We can pray and we can reflect on who it is we are becoming. We can wonder about what is in us already that is about to be revealed. 
because that's what it means to follow Jesus. Not people that have already arrived, that already have it, but people together that are walking this walk and keeping our eyes on a Jesus that we get these glimpses of and learning what it means to love one another in a way that changes the world, that changes our lives. We get to do that together. On the night before Jesus died, he sat at a table with his disciples and he broke bread and he gave thanks and after giving thanks he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And he took the cup and he poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you, the new covenant. And when you drink from this cup, remember me. And so that's what we get to do. We take the bread and we dip into the cup and with awe Remember this God who loves us so much that is growing something in us that will be revealed. And that's a beautiful thing. So we invite you during the music to come forward and there's gluten-free elements in the middle and on the side, regular elements. And you can come up as you feel led. So please stand as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from 